Hi, this is Kurt Vandera from Metal Church, and you're listening to the Brooklyn Blast Furnace. What's up, everybody? We're back. Welcome to episode 14 of the Brooklyn Blast Furnace. Hey, guys. How you doing? Hey, welcome back, Johnny, from your little vacation. Thank you very much. You're welcome. You're welcome. I had a really nice time upstate on Crystal Lake. Very good. Very apropos. Very apropos. Yeah. Apropos to what? Apropos to our last episode, episode 13. (laughs) And I'm a a huge Friday the 13th fan. And I was born on the 13th, so it's all good. Everything good and bad happens to me on the 13th. 13th what? October. Oh, okay. okay, wow. Wow. Very cool. Well, don't yeah. ever go into his bar. Yeah. Lucky Why? 13. Lucky 13 saloon. Yeah. <laughs> oh, wait, you're Jeff who owns Lucky 13? Yeah. yeah. Ah, okay. Yeah. Okay. Thank you. All right, well, obviously, we, we have somebody, uh, an awesome guest on the podcast today. Um, I'm honored to know this gentleman. Uh, on the way here, I mentioned that I met him probably about a year and a half ago with Drew Stone at a horror convention. Ah. And to my recollection, the first time that I met this gentleman was when he was speaking to Tim Capello, also known as the sax guy from the Lost Boys, awesome. who oh I had God. met a couple of times myself. Jimmy's got a little man crush on, uh, on the, that guy. The, the, the <laughs> Tim Capello rules. Talking about capitalizing on a 30-second cameo in a movie from the 80s. That wow. guy is great. Well, but you know. No, he did play saxophone for Tina Turner. Yes, no, I do know. Yes, I know that. And you know, he was always trying to upstage everybody oh, on yeah. that stage. And it's like, excuse me, right. it's F and Tina Turner. Yeah, so, yeah. 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 you can curse right. if you want to. Okay. But the gentleman that is speaking is the one and only Michael Alago, former re- world-renowned record executive for an A and R guy for. Electra Records, mm-hmm. Geffen Records, and Palm Palm Re- Pictures. Palm mm-hmm. Pictures. Yeah, I always forget that at some point in time, I worked at this company called Uni. Mm-hmm. Okay. And Uni was a record label in the 60s that, like, Neil Diamond was on. I and- love Neil Diamond. All right, calm down. <laughs> um, so, I, you know, like, it's just one of these things that I forget that I was there. Mm-hmm. Um, um, and, you know, we had this band called Transvision Vamp. Oh. We had Steve Earle. Mm-hmm. And I signed this band from New York called Swans. Oh, I love Swans. You yeah. signed Swans? Really? Yeah. I, I, you know, I made John a... John is a you, huge Swans oh, fan. Well, yeah. what, what... Wait a minute. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Hold on. Put yes. a pin in everything else. Okay. What for what album? Can you tell uh, me? That? Yeah, of course. It's called The Burning World mm-hmm. and Bill Laswell produced it. Oh my god, that's and it's amazing. The oh quietest record. Oh my god, but that's that so they cool. ever made. That's so it's cool. really quite a beautiful record. And um I purposefully wanted to make that kind of a recording with them mm-hmm. because if you know anything about Swans, mm-hmm. they don't play on ten. Mm-hmm. They play on twelve mm-hmm. for right. two hours. Oh yeah. So you either have to love what they do yep. or get out of the room. Mm-hmm. So um yeah, we made this beautiful record. Record and the cover is of a flower that Robert Maplethorpe took. Um, Bill Laswell from the group Material produced their record. Wow. They do a cover of Traffic's Can't Find My Way Home. Wow. I mean, it's really beautiful. I don't think the band loved it so much, but mm-hmm. they were that's okay. Of, that was a band that was ahead of its time as well. Absolutely. Still, yeah, yeah, still yeah. yeah. Now, their new they're records coming, they're putting out are so oh, amazing. Young oh God, God Records, that's right. So, so Michael Girard is yeah. really amazing. He I is. really have so much respect for him. They're coming back uh, in November, I think, to do two nights in Brooklyn somewhere. Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's their final 
tour with this lineup. That's right. Yeah. Yep. Yep. Yeah. I mean, Jeff as well. Jeff is a big fan. Yeah. Yeah. Not just me. And mm-hmm. what, what drew me to, you know, because we recorded with Martin BC, who was mm-hmm. oh yeah, of course, with the Swans uh-huh. also. Yeah, my That's band right. recorded with them yeah. with uh, with Martin before too. And and you know, when I first started hearing him, Martin, it was because of the Swans. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, you know, he also did the Angels of Light project. Yes. Martin worked on that. Yeah, yeah. Jason Lafarge. Uh, He's who also works at uh, Caesar's Palace Studios with Martin B.C. He's in Pants He recorded Explorer. the, uh, I, forget, I always forget the name of the album. It's a very long album title. Um, of Swans? Yeah, it's, a, it's something about climbing a rope to the heavens or something like that. It's oh, actually, it came out not too long ago. It was the one that they put out, um, The Seer, that's, oh my God, I sound like an idiot right now. But anyway. A couple of albums back, yes. they put out a record, and Jason mm-hmm. Lafarge uh, engineered it. Got it. And he also played violin on a track and, and all of this stuff. But the records that they're putting out now are, are to me, um, are just as incredible and uh, amazing as some of the earlier material that I, that I love. But do you know that record, The Burning World? I don't know oh, that. I don't know it as well. I do know well, it, but not as well. Well, you try to find it. It's oh, hard definitely. to find. Yeah. I mean, I um, listen to all of the albums. Well, mm-hmm. even the stuff, the industrial stuff, the early stuff, like the Cop Young God oh, stuff. Oh, gosh, that yes. Jeff is yeah. more a fan of, yeah. all of that early stuff. Well, this is so a very good. quiet and atmospheric record. Well, now I'm <laughs> going cool. to really Yeah, just you should like, find it, really. It's very, very cool. Very cool. Yep, and the lineup at that point in time, Jarbo mm-hmm. is, was still in the group. And wow. uh, it's just, it's really something else. Fantastic. It's a stunning record. Cool. Yeah. Cool. I have to check it out. Yeah. yeah. I'm not familiar with Swans. I heard of Swans through John, uh-huh. but I never really seek them out to hear it. So right. I, I'll definitely check them out. Maybe make them a little playlist. Very interesting. Yeah, make them a playlist. We'll make them a playlist. Like <laughs> I mean, you know, the last time I saw them months ago was at uh, the Bowery Ballroom. Mm-hmm. Okay. And it's like two hours of having some kind of a holy encounter. Mm-hmm. Okay. It's heavy. Yeah, it's heavy. That's a heavy statement. No, 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 no. no. It yeah. really is that intense and heavy and like, it's not like grindcore, mm-hmm. but it's, it's mind just, fucking. It's just, it's oh really my God. Intense. Yes, it's intense. It's, intense. it's, it's intense. the only way you can describe yeah. it as mind fucking. Like, there you go. Like, and with a name so like great. swans, you wouldn't think that. Mm-hmm. Well, aren't yeah. swans the meanest animals? Mm-hmm. They are. Yes, that's I right. I just saw three yeah. in the park, and they don't fuck around. Yeah, yeah they don't fuck they around. They don't fuck right. around. There yeah. you go. I'm learning all <laughs> kinds of shit. <laughs> right, huh? That swans don't fuck around. Right. Swans fuck. don't fuck around. There you go. go. fuck with a swan, Jimmy. It's next. I don't think I'm going to fuck with swans. <laughs> Their necks are fucking thick, They're too, man. They're fucking twig. They're oh, fast, Jesus too. Yeah. Those little feet. Okay, yeah. <laughs> anyway, well, right. that's fantastic, a fantastic tidbit of information to learn about yeah, you. I had no idea. Yeah. Yeah. So uh, so can we rewind to where you, that, we kind of cut off from there? Well, we, we stopped about, off. At, but wait, did we even start anything? No. We did. We, really. No, you mentioned about a, a company called Uni, right? Oh, right. Mm-hmm. Because I think Jimmy. Palm Pictures. Palm and Pictures. Right, Uni. right, right, right. You know, it, it's such a, um, well, it's not a strange career, but. I was at Electra. I started at. We're going to start all over. Sure. Uh, no, that's fine. That's fine. We do it all the time. We do it all the time. Okay. <laughs> well, I actually started in the music business in 1980 mm-hmm. at the Ritz, okay. which is now Webster Hall. Mm-hmm. Awesome. But at that point in time, the Ritz was a building called Casa Galicia. Mm-hmm. And years before that, it was like the Women's Garment Center. What is that called? The WG mm-hmm. Women's uh, Garment. WGC, I'm going to guess. No, okay. anyway, it was like oh. Women's Garment Center Union. Okay. And okay. so um, it's 1980, and I'm going to School of Visual Arts, and I'm working on a... And you grew up in Brooklyn. 
Well, I grew up in Brooklyn, yes. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'm just saying, you, yeah. and you grew up in Brooklyn. I did. Okay. Okay. So now you threw me. Okay. So it's Women's uh, Garments, the Ritz. No, it's 1980, and I'm taking lunch one day. Uh, I worked at a pharmacy on Astor Place, and I was going to School of Visual Arts. I see this building, and there's like a little white sign with magic marker that says Video Club Opening. Mm. Now, remember, it's 1980. Right that minute was when MTV just started. Mm-hmm. So I thought, oh, this is interesting, video club opening. So I walked in, and if you know what the Ritz looks like, um, back then it was just, well, it's still beautiful, but it's like Art Deco everywhere. Mm-hmm. And, yeah. you know, at some point in time, RCA used it for recordings. Wow, I didn't um, know that. Oh, yeah. Elvis, oh, yeah. Elvis recorded Elvis, there. Elvis, yeah, 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 yeah. Frank Sinatra. That's right. Yeah. I think even some people who played on, like, Bob Dylan records did some stuff there. Yeah. Anyway, uh, sorry. Yeah. No, go ahead. No, and I'm... Uh, and then when it was Webster Hall, Nine Inch Nails had like a hole was recorded there. Oh, really? That, I didn't that, know yeah, that. that I didn't know that either. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, the video was recorded. The video ah, was recorded. Was recorded the video for Head Like a Hole was, was recorded filmed. at Webster Hall. Wow. Really? Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. Because cool. I used to work there and they had some of the leftover set still down in the basement when I started working there. Wow. Oh, how cool. That's yeah. very okay. Cool. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, a lot of history in that building. It was amazing. So anyway, I just, you know, I saw a sign. I went in. There was a man in the... Um, in the balcony, and he's like, "Kid, what do you, what you know? We're not open. What do you want?" Mm. And I was like, "I want a job." <laughs> and awesome. he thought that was funny, and he said, "Do you have a resume?" And I said, "No, I don't have a resume. I go to school." And he thought that was funny, and <laughs> uh, he said, "Well, come to my office." So his name is Jerry Brandt. Mm-hmm. Jerry came out of the mailroom in William Morris Agency, mm-hmm. just like David Geffen did. Mm-hmm. Uh, Jerry was. Um, He started the uh, Electric Circus Mm -hmm. uh, disco nightclub in the 1960s, which was on St. Mark's Place. Mm -hmm. And, you know, people like Jimi Hendrix played there. Mm -hmm. They had this thing called the Joshua Light Show there. Mm -hmm. Um, At one point in time, Jerry had discovered Carly Simon. uh, I love Carly Simon, too. The Voices of East Harlem. Uh, He looked after Sam Cooke. I think he was the Rolling Stones agent. At William Morris. Anyway, that's Jerry Brandt. Mm -hmm. And uh, so we just started talking, and I think, you know, I must have been 19 years old. And um, we just started talking about music, and I think he liked that I knew everything from... Frank Sinatra and the Great American Songbook to Hard Rock and Heavy Metal. Mm-hmm. So he said, I'm hiring you. Mm-hmm. You're going to open my mail, you're going to get my lunch, and you're going to answer the phone. And I thought, oh my God, I'm in the music business. Awesome. But I was. <laughs> yeah, I really yeah, was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know? Yeah. And I was hoping for something like that ever since I was 14 years old. Because mm-hmm. As a young kid in Brooklyn, I would watch Dick Clark's American Bandstand. Mm-hmm. I would watch Don Cornelius' Soul Train. There was Don Kirshner's Rock Concert. Mm-hmm. On Friday night, there was In Concert, which was on at 11.30 at night. And that gave me my first uh, listen or viewing to seeing and hearing Alice Cooper, mm. my idol, wow. Alice Cooper. Wow. And we could talk about that later. Sure, sure. Because I love Alice Cooper. Cool. Whatever cool. you want. I still love Alice Cooper. Cool, cool. Okay. And Alice awesome. Cooper was the first concert I ever went to. Wow. Really? Wow. June 3rd, 1973. That's <laughs> amazing. It was wow. the last night of the Billion Dollar Babies tour. And I didn't know I was going. I had a cousin, Carol Ann, who mm-hmm. lived in Staten Island. Mm-hmm. And she had this boyfriend, uh, Manny the Greek, who lived in Astoria. <laughs> Manny the Greek, right. of course. <laughs> so I was at her mom's house, my Aunt Bobby's house. And Manny came over and he said, I have these two tickets for Alice Cooper. And Carol was like, I have my period. I'm going to listen to Marvin Gaye and stay home. <laughs> uh, 
<laughs> so she said, my cousin Michael, he's 14, take him to the show. So Manny the Greek took me to see wow. Alice Cooper. Wow. We had shitty seats up in the brown section. Mm-hmm. And... The minute it started, you know, with Hello, Hooray, Mm. I saw that there was something happening here. So I talked him into going down to the orchestra. We wound up being, like, in the first, like, ten rows of the orchestra. And that really kind of changed my life, Mm. Alice Cooper. Mm -hmm. Really? Mm -hmm. Even though you didn't ask. No, well, no, well this, this is important information. I mean, it I was going to ask. I was going to ask. I was going to ask okay. how music came into your life. Right. What your first real music experience ah. was that really got you into music and just your. Well, when I was a little kid, I used to sit on my stoop and I had a great Panasonic 45 record player, and I would uh, buy 45s. Mm-hmm. Everything from Aretha Franklin's "Respect" to mm-hmm. Grand Funk Railroad mm-hmm. to Rare Earth. I just want to celebrate mm-hmm. like all these great 45s, and I just even sometimes just alone. I would just sit on my stoop mm. and play those records. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so all those, all that kind of music came into my life because of the programs that I watched on TV, and I listened to AM radio. And the AM radio station in New York to listen to them was WABC, mm-hmm. and you know it was seventy-seven WABC. And sometimes if the <laughs> DJs liked something, they would do like instant replay. Mm-hmm. So if it was a hit. They would play it twice in a row. Mm. And back then, things were not formatted mm-hmm. the way they are now. Like, these days, all you hear is homogenized top 40. Sure, sure, yeah. Back then, radio in the 70s, you could hear Aretha, Grand Funk, Archie Bell and the Drills, Rare Earth, mm-hmm. all this stuff, mm-hmm. all within the hour. Sure. And that was like the beauty of AM radio back mm-hmm. then. You could hear everything, mm-hmm. you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, but I think you would ask me, so uh, my career kind of started at the Ritz in 1980. Mm-hmm. And then uh, for the next 25 years, I worked for record companies. Mm-hmm. I worked for Elektra. I worked for Geffen. Mm-hmm. I worked for Elektra. I worked for Geffen. Somewhere in there, I worked for uni, but I was probably so drunk and out of it, I don't even remember <laughs> that part of the story, right. except that I signed Swans. Wow. Nice. And then at some point, I went to Chris Blackwell's company, Palm Pictures, mm. where I kind of ended my official record company career. Mm -hmm. And I stopped working at record companies then because it's about 2004 now, and I see that all the Virgin Mega Stores are closing. Yeah. All the Tower Records are closing. It's heartbreak. Was it heartbreaking to see that? The I'm sure you saw the height of it, and then oh, the, absolutely, the, the, the it just like... made you wonder, like what was happening, mm-hmm. and what was happening is record companies weren't paying attention that the internet was starting to happen, yeah. and that that was what was going to take over. Mm-hmm. Now, but wait, I just lost my train of thought just for one second. So, yeah. So, in 2004, when all these places were closing down, it was like people were then starting to file share and download. And to me, basically, it's called stealing. Sure. Yeah. So, when you steal, mm-hmm. nobody profits from that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, like, I never did anything for money. One always hopes to make money. Sure. But you have to do something out of love mm-hmm. and passion. And if you do that, hopefully everything goes right. Mm-hmm. Correct. Yeah. I agree with you yeah. 100%. Yeah. So then, all right. So since that's kind of like a good segue with stealing and downloads and stuff. And the first thing I have to be honest, that came to my head was Napster. And then the next thing that came to my head was Lars. Uh And the elephant in the room is basically you are, I'm going to say, for the most part, pretty responsible and discovered 
a little small little band called Metallica. Mm. Well, you know, it, it's a funny thing because we have to remember that. Let's say it's... Um, Well, prior to Metallica, you know, I lived underneath Trick Avenue in Borough Park, Mm -hmm. and seven blocks away from me was Lemoore. Mm -hmm. My first show ever there. Well, you know, I would would walk to Lemoore's Mm -hmm. all the time, and I would crawl home (laughs) because I was so tanked all the time. So that is even like... um, I'm guessing... I'm terrible with time sometimes, but I'm guessing it's around... Ay, ay, ay. Can we say, like, 1980? Let's just say 1980. Um, I get my job at Elektra in 1983. Uh, if you want to talk about Metallica, what was happening in 82 and 83 was it was this great underground metal scene where it was not about radio. It was about everybody handing out their cassettes yeah. and handing out flyers, come see my band. Yes. That's how it was done. Sure. There was not anything, uh, there was not like technology involved sure. here. No, you know, it was like Xeroxes, mm-hmm. DIY, cassettes, right. please come see my band. Yeah. Um, a mailing list meant... A mailing list, a real mailing, mailing list. Mail. You really <laughs> wanted those names there because yeah. yeah. people would come to your yeah. show. And you were yeah. mailing yes, them in an envelope to somebody's house. You know, and that was all, and I, it was awesome getting shit from bands in the mail. You Absolutely. know what I mean? Like, yeah. I loved it. There was all yeah. the tape trading yep. stuff going yep. on. Absolutely. And you had pen pals with people, like some dude over in like Poland who was yes. into some obscure thrash metal uh-huh. band. Sure, sure. Uh-huh. And it was like, really you amazing. would correspond and like, like snail mail. Like mm. It's unheard of nowadays. Yeah. I loved snail mail. It's so yeah. Yeah. I did too. So cool. And it, it was it, awesome. It really made you work for your, you know, for, for your music too. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, there was passion behind oh, it. Yeah, like, there was. It was drive that you really wanted to. You did something and you put thought behind this and you set out uh-huh. to go and write things out and Xerox things and lick envelopes and write freehand your return address and all Absolutely. And because you had that passion to mm-hmm. get your stuff out there sure. and get something in return maybe just to hear of a band. Yeah, mm-hmm. And making mixtapes for your friend and taking fucking hours and like pick, picking through all your tapes and you know rewinding and play, you know what I mean? Like yeah, it was a, It was fun doing that. Press and record and play and record at the same time and you do a dual tape deck. Yes, and then course. you got to Fucking time it right at the end just to make sure it doesn't get fucking cut off. Yeah, like you know what I mean. Like raise the volume and make sure it's. Yeah, Yeah. so funny. Like (laughs) you know, talking about like DIY and sending stuff in the mail. My first experience with that was I was. 14, and I was the head of the Dead Boys fan club. Wow. wow. <laughs> no shit. And really? I was maybe 15, let's say mm. 15, and I went to CBGB one night to see them, mm. and I lost my mind. Mm-hmm. And I thought Steve Bader's was the greatest thing ever, and it was almost like, uh, you know, they were like the bastard child of the Stooges. Yeah. And I just said, well, me and my friend Jody Rubello, who used to go out and take pictures all the time, would go see them, and we said, we're going to start a fanzine. Mm. Dead Boys rule. Yeah, and Mm. one of their songs was called All This and More. Mm. So that was the name of the zine. And like, you know, like good kids, we like cut all the letters haphazardly Mm. out of the newspaper. Like a ransom note. Yeah, like a ransom note, (laughs) totally. You know? And, uh, you know, it's so funny because the cover of All This and More is when you walk into Bowery Electric present day, Mm -hmm. it's right there on the left of 
the room where a lot of things are hanging. But I was surprised to see it there because I never, I don't know. It's always dark in that place. So yeah. Yeah, when yeah. I looked to the left, I was like, oh, my God, that's my zine. That's and so I think cool. We, I think, next time I'm there, I got to yeah, check it out. I think we only yeah. made, like, two copies, mm-hmm. two, two different uh, issues of mm-hmm. it. And then, I don't know, we went on to do other things. But, uh, yeah, so it's 1982 and all these uh, – now we're back to 1982. And there's all these underground bands happening, which we just kind of uh, talked about, like – the ways people were hearing those bands. Mm-hmm. So uh, I started at Electra March of 83. I was familiar with Megaforce Records. Mm-hmm. I was out every night. I had my assistant get me every music paper from all over the United States, my favorite Canadian metal magazines, and my favorite magazines from the UK like Kerrang and Terrorizer and we would cut shit out and I'd make her call everybody on all these lists to say get me your demo tape get me your independent record so John and Marsha at Megaforce knew about me and I knew about them Mm. and at one point John came to Elektra and he said I have this band that's going to be huge Mm. they're called Raven Mm. he said but you know we have Mm. a little independent we don't have money Mm -hmm. and uh, we want them to be on Elektra and I said well here's $5,000 and get me the demo and let me hear what's going on Mm -hmm. well they delivered the demo and it was fucking great Mm -hmm. I loved it so I don't know I went to a couple of places to see Raven hung out with them. There were a few times Wacko the drummer put me over his shoulder and deposited me at my hotel door because I was so out of it. But that was all. That was always like the fun of going out. He used, to wear, like, he used to wear the hockey gear. Though, that's right. They wore Wacko the hockey gear. Yeah, yeah. Yes. Right. Yeah. So um, I heard that. But at the same time, John had this little record called Kill Em All. Mm. And I thought, oh, this is the greatest thing I ever heard in my entire life. Mm-hmm. I didn't know how to tell anybody at Electra about it because you got to remember Electra is hip and cool as they they have been since the 1960s. You know, you got a lot of new people there. Bob Krasnow, the CEO, was just reviving the company. And, you know, whether you like it or not, it's a corporation mm-hmm. run by Time Warner. Sure. So at one point, I go see the guys at the Stone in San Francisco. I flip out. I think James is the greatest thing I've ever seen in my whole entire life. I give Lars my business card and... I just kind of uh, space out, and I don't say anything to anybody at Electra for months. Um, I'm trying to remember the order, but the order might not be really the order. Um, so at one point, I d- tell John that uh, from Megaforce that I don't want to move forward with Raven, as marvelous as they are, but... I've been going to see Metallica, and I want to sign them. Mm. Well, he lost his mind. He was going to sue me personally. He was going to sue Bob Krasnow. He was going to sue Time Warner. And then, of course, that little thing called money Mm. becomes involved. Sure. So... um, this is a little out of order, but anybody who's okay. listening to this will know, like, the cast of characters and stuff. So now it's, um, Lars gets in touch with me in the beginning of 1984, and he says, we're making this record called Ride the Lightning. Mm-hmm. Um, do you want to hear it? And I said, you know, of course I want to hear it. So I think he sent me cassettes of parts of songs. Wow. Lost my mind. So, um, then he called me and said, you know, we're coming to play Roseland with, uh, Anthrax 
and Raven, will you come? Of course I'm going to come. Mm-hmm. So, you know, uh, I go see them. I lost my mind again. I, I'm i a little out of it that night, as usual. And I go backstage, and I kind of bolt the door, and I'm like, I love you. Mm-hmm. I'm like hugging James. I'm kissing the guys. I'm like crazy. And uh, <laughs> they're like, okay, Michael, okay, mm-hmm. okay. And, you know... It was incredible. Mm-hmm. You know, I was 21. I was like 22. They were 20 years old. Mm-hmm. They didn't know, like, this is what an A&R person was like, mm-hmm. even though there were no other A&R persons young and crazy like me and adventurous. And I never wanted to be part of the pack. I wanted to be the fucking leader sure. of yeah. that pack. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the next morning, they were at Electra, And they came to the conference room. And I ordered Chinese food and beer. Mm-hmm. And because <laughs> it's 1984, awesome. yeah, I gave them all the vinyl. They wanted wow. and all the cassettes they wanted. Wow. And at one point, Cliff, who was a beautiful human being and really the best musician in the band at mm. the time, mm. um, was a sweetheart. Mm. And, you know, he, we distributed a label called Nunsuch. Mm-hmm. And it was all like field recordings mm-hmm. and crickets chirping mm-hmm. in the woods. I'm a fan. And mm-hmm. Nunsuch. Okay. Sure. He wanted every, Cliff wanted every Nunsuch record. So I got him almost every bit of vinyl I could. And he said, well, what about Simon and Garfunkel? Mm-hmm. And I'm like, Cliff, they're on Sony, Columbia. I'll get you the record. <laughs> um, so, you know, then at some point, I had Bob Krasnow, our CEO, come into the... Uh conference room and you know he did his job as the chairman and it's like you know we want you and we don't want you going anywhere else well you know it felt like they never went anywhere mm. you know mm-hmm. you know people could say oh we were courting them they're all full of shit mm-hmm. no no other A&R people really were there mm-hmm. and no other A&R people talked to them that evening because mm-hmm. I was the only one there mm-hmm. locked door it was mm-hmm. just us mm-hmm. and like I said the next day at 12 noon they all showed up on time whether they were out being alcoholic the night before or what uh-huh. they showed up they were fucking and, motivated kids though you know you know yeah, what they were. people yeah. could have called them whatever they wanted yeah. alcoholica metallica these were young people who were Ooh, sorry about that. These were young people who were always very focused. Mm-hmm. And I knew that from that day on. Mm-hmm. So when people, you know, we, Jimmy and I were talking about this earlier, you know, there are these semantics. Well, Olago didn't discover them. Well, you know what? I signed them to Electra Records. Mm-hmm. And I did for them musically, creatively, uh, financially, what no one else could do. Mm-hmm. And that helped them bring them to the masses. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. you know, whatever people say, I take great credit that I signed them to Electra. Sure. Nobody sure. else was involved. Mm-hmm. If they say they were involved, they're full of shit, and you know who you are out there. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it's like a big fuck you. Mm-hmm. And um, it's an incredible ride. Mm-hmm. And, you know, people like these days still, and I know I'm going on a little bit, no, but when I go fine, on right? about Metallica, I can't help it. It's fine. You know, it's people, fucking exciting, man. People like, these to, days, you, you saw it go from you know from what it was then to what it is today. I oh mean, yeah, that's that's, that's, yeah. that's amazing. Le- oh, yeah. Legitimately a household name, and yes. even if you yeah. even if you don't like metal or anything like that, whether you like them or not, everybody on the planet 
knows who Metallica oh, is. Of yeah, sure. Yes. And I, I still remember the first time a friend of mine brought me up the fucking cassette tape. And he said, dude, you got to hear this fucking band, Metalactica. And I looked at it and I was like, dude, I think that says Metallica. And I was like, all right. And I put, yeah, and whatever. The rest is And, history, and this so. was Ride the Lightning, right? This is the, that was yes. that the first actually, album you put out yeah. on Elektra? Uh, on, in the United States, mm-hmm. it was on um, Elektra. Mm-hmm. And in Europe, it was on a little label called Music for Nations, mm-hmm. which was well, great, great label. Great labels. Really? My personal yeah. favorite Metallica record is Ride me too. Yeah. Mine too. Me too. Yeah. Mine too. Me too. Fire Fire with Fire is first, oh, Metallica song. I mean, I can go on and on. Cthulhu, first right? first album I yeah. took home yeah. as a kid that wasn't even into metal, and it was the first thing I put on with listening with my dad. And mm-hmm. and it, Fire Fire came on, and my dad was like, oh, it's really nice. I like this acoustic music. Right. And then it comes in, he's like, <laughs> <Yeah>. not. <laughs> yeah. No. He enjoyed it. He liked it. He liked it. He liked it. I have it. a hard time picking a favorite. I feel like they all got a place for me. Ride the sure, Lightning, Kill sure. Them All, and, and Master of Puppets. Those three, like, oh, oh, of course. Well, I mean, it's classic. So you know, justice. It's you know. what you yeah, remember. Justice for all, too. Kill Them All, too. Remember man. Yeah. Because it's just the first. Yeah. 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 It's the first big one. Right? You take to heart. What? What's that? I'm sorry. I said anything that's like your first exactly. yeah, yeah, you yeah, take yeah. to yeah, heart. Yeah, yeah, right. So of course those three first records are mm-hmm. kind of sure. genius. Sure they are. And you know, these days, you know, on social media oh, and all God. these places, I know, I you know, uh, I don't get involved in anything when people want to start arguing. You know, Metallica are a band that you're damned if you do and you're damned if you don't. Sure. Because people are like, well, the only great records they made are those first three. Mm-hmm. Not true. Yeah, I, I disagree. And you know, every, when you have a career that's now spanning, oh my God, 35 years, yeah. you have highs, you have lows. Sure. They've had more highs than lows. Yeah. And it's brilliant. So mm-hmm. you could say whatever you want mm-hmm. that. They in 2017 they're still playing stadiums. Yeah. Did you see the last show they I played went in twice. Jersey? Yeah. It was, yeah. I mean, it was, it was like the biggest thing. I've never seen anything so massively. Produced amazingly. Well, you know, people that went to the show were like, "That was the greatest yeah, was show I've ever away. seen." Well, you know, yeah. the funny part is, people were blown the away. stage is really a bare mm. stage. Yeah, but they had those five screens up behind <sighs> them that were like massive to the heavens, massive, brilliant. Yeah. Then two nights later, they did Nassau Coliseum in the round. Yeah, and wow. that was pretty awesome. Nothing on. That was pretty awesome. Back back. I think it was the best show I've ever seen them do, and I think it was the best version of One and Sanitarium wow. that I ever heard. I lost my mind. I it was brilliant. I mean, really. It was can brilliant. I confess something right now? Confess. I never saw Metallica live. Really? I heard them from a distance at Woodstock 99 <laughs> from a tent while I was on acid. <laughs> Swear to God, right? Michael's face right? is fucking. How angry. bad is that? Wait a minute, I, I have no idea what to say to you. Whatever, yeah. right. anymore. You have to, you have to put face, something on your, your list there all, that you got things to do. Yeah. Okay, to so when they come back in the fall, I will take you. Uh-huh. Oh, that's, yeah. awesome. that's awesome. That's a great. Oh, you sound like you don't even care now. No, I said, that's awesome. what am I supposed to do? That's fucking awesome. Okay, Thank fine. You. You're welcome. Wait, that's that's better. Yeah, but wait, I was like a little shocked. I've never seen him either. You're liar, liar. That's my first. First real concert oh. was for the Injustice for All. Oh. I was there when they played. It was at Woodstock '99, but I was like on the other side, like in my tent, like all bugging out on acid. Well, I, I mean, heard them. It doesn't count, there, though. It doesn't I count because you yeah, weren't in the right mind. But, but I didn't see them. Yeah, you didn't see them. Yeah, I was yeah, too yeah, no, out. no good, no good. Um, so listen, I'm honest. Were you want me to leave? So let me ask you this: <laughs> what, what, what came next after that? On Electra, what was the next big thing for you on Electra? The next big band that oh. came your way? Well, you know, you, in my you... 25 years, there was never anything as massive as Metallica. Because mm-hmm. those type of things 
are few and far between. Sure. It was spectacular. Mm-hmm. And not everybody's like that. Sure. There's, sure. Lot, there's lots of good stuff out there. There's a lot of great stuff. But then there's things that are so, how do you say, um, just kind of out of this world, mm-hmm. you know? And those are things that happen every, what, 10 years, 20 sure, years, absolutely. you know? Mm-hmm. So for me, the trajectory was just that I was an a person, and I just continued to do my job. Mm-hmm. So at some point in time, maybe like 85, 86, I heard about Metal Church, mm-hmm. and they sent me their independent record that really they had no distribution, no nothing. So I thought, oh my God, I love this singer, Dave Wayne. Mm-hmm. So I went to Seattle to I see them. Metal Church. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, they're good, they're good. They're still fucking good. Yes. I yes. saw them, I, so I, I guess it's got to be, it's three or four years ago, I saw them. And they were fucking amazing. Thank Still you. Great th- thanks life. to Kurt Vanderhoof for the for the for the drop for the beginning oh, of this podcast. Oh yeah, cool. Right. 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 Great. Yeah. Yes, yes, yes. Thank you for getting that for us, yeah, Michael. Yeah, 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 that's awesome. You know, so I just, you know, I you always want things to be big, of mm. course. Sure. But I feel like I signed things that were just like credible, mm-hmm. you know, and that when you heard about something in these small pockets, and in this case, the Seattle area, I knew I wanted to help bring them to the masses. Mm -hmm. And that was the beauty of me working for a place like Electro, which was a corporation, Mm -hmm. but everybody was really cool there. It wasn't like working for any place stodgy or anything. You know what I mean? One one thing, not to uh, to backtrack a little bit, so that show, when you went to go see Metallica and Raven was there, and you already had basically told Raven, like, no, when you walked in, was Raven like, fuck you, you know what I mean? No, no, no. Like, the well, the Gallagher like, brothers are amazing people. Yeah. They're lovely. I know they were disappointed. Right. Um, I don't remember anything about them that night, like having contact with them that right, night. Right, right, right. My focus was I saw the show. Uh, I only wanted to see Metallica. Right, right, and right. I went backstage. I locked the door. And like I said, part of that, like the rest is history. Okay, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't want to make it sound that simple. Sure. But, uh, you know, we had to buy them off of Megaforce. I'm, I'm, just and, picturing, uh, I'm just picturing Wacko in his hockey gear. Like, uh, motherfucker. I think, you know, like currently, I think he works with like Wynton Marsalis Mm. and Harry Connick Jr. as some kind of engineer. Oh, very cool. I think so. Mm. So different. Yeah. Mm So I don't know where we are anymore. Well, you know, I mean, basically, we're just oh, talking about yes. your career in music. Right, right, right. But, so, you know, I'm an A&R person, and, you know, I really do love all types of music. Mm-hmm. But at that point in time, my focus was metal. Mm-hmm. And so after Metallica, I signed uh, Metal Church, and uh, then I signed a group called Flotsam and Jetsam. Mm-hmm. Okay. okay. And uh, the story behind that, because there is a story, um, they made a record, uh, I think, for Metal Blade. Mm-hmm. And for some reason, they weren't, like, I think, on Metal Blade anymore. So mm-hmm. they were free to do what they wanted to do. So I went to see them at my place in Arizona, I think, called the Mason Jar. Oh, yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, it was killer. Mm-hmm. It was killer. Because mm-hmm. they're great musicians. Mm-hmm. Um, but the little turn of events that happened is that, um, let's go back to, you know, 1986, Metallica are on the road, and they're in Europe, and um, it's September, and um, as we all know, their tour bus turned over, and it it slid on some black ice in the middle of the night, and it was in Sweden, and as we all know, we lost our beloved Cliff Burton, who was like... How do you fathom being a young person 
having the beginnings of wild success. Mm-hmm. And then your brother gets killed. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I still can't even talk about it like that because it's something. Mm-hmm. It's something. Yeah. Because we all loved Cliff so much, yeah. you know? Mm-hmm. And I remember that Saturday, Cliff Bernstein, mm-hmm. Q Prime Management, still to this day, called and said, I got some bad news. Mm-hmm. I was like, he's calling me on a Saturday morning? Mm-hmm. What's up? And he said, um, it was a terrible accident last night. Cliff was killed. Everybody, like, lost their mind. Oh Everybody, like, lost their mind. Yeah. Nobody knew, like, what do you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You say nothing because, mm. I don't know, you you're just there's, in, there's you're in a state of shock. Yeah. For, you know, for me, on many levels, mm-hmm. it was a band that I signed who I knew from the get-go they were going to be the biggest band in the whole world. Mm-hmm. And then this happens. And then Lars calls me and says, you know, I don't know. We don't know what we're going to do. Mm-hmm. So everybody, you know, the tour ended, of course. Everybody went home. And um, whew, to this day, it's like one of those things. You never wish anything like that on anybody. But Cliff was really, he was fabulous. Anyway, so... Um, I guess, um, I don't know if it was a week or two or that week I fly to California, you know, all the Exodus guys, all the Anthrax guys, everybody was at the service for Cliff. At one point, this was kind of like great. We all went back to the Burton's home mm. and, you know, Mr. Burton, Ray Burton still comes to Metallica shows Does to this he? day. Really? Yeah. Oh, He's awesome. in his eighties. Yeah. He's at those shows. That's Still. awesome. That's fucking incredible. So it's uh, 1986, and a bunch of us we, were in Cliff's room. Wow. And we're sitting on his bed, and we're sitting on the floor, and everybody's crying and reminiscing. And I think at one point, James and I were so drunk that all, we, all I remember, he doesn't remember, is that we threw up in the toilet bowl in the bathroom. I think we passed out. And at some point, everybody is like, uh, you know, we're all leaving now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, it, it, in retrospect, years later, there's a little humor that we were all young and crazy and drinking. But we all paid such great respect to Cliff mm-hmm. because he was a brother a friend, a fellow musician, which leads us to, believe it or not, Flotsam and Jetsam. Yeah. Um, so at one point, the, boy, the guys call me up and say, we need a bass player. Mm-hmm. Uh, I only send them two people, Phil Cavano from Blitzbeer, mm-hmm. who's in Monster Magnet. Mm-hmm. And I said, you know, I don't really want to do this, but I signed a band called Flotsam and Jetsam. Mm-hmm. And there is a character mm-hmm. in this band mm-hmm. who will fit your band to the Enter mm. Jason Newstead. Enter yeah. Jason Newstead. Mm-hmm. And it was a drag. Mm-hmm. I mean, like, I was like, what am I doing now? Mm-hmm. What shoes and, to fill for him, though? That's yes. Yeah, 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 really. I mean, he couldn't believe it. Yeah. You what know, was his thought process like, Jesus, well, what the I mean, fuck am this I is a young into? person who has never, I think, practically left Arizona. Right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And literally, a few weeks later, they're in Poland, mm-hmm. you know, and he sent me a letter. He said, Michael, this is a dream come true for me. Mm-hmm. And I think one of the first interviews he did, he got the cover of Bass Magazine. Mm-hmm. And he always says, if it wasn't for Michael Alago, and I'm not saying this for ego purposes, it's just 
what it was. Yeah, yeah, it, is. What it, is. it is what it is. It was what it was. It was the. It was almost like this natural progression of mm. things. And then for the next fifteen years, he was in Metallica. Sure. Yeah. And you know, when he first got there, the guys treated him like dirt. Yeah, yeah. they did. And I think also because you know, being young people and losing a bandmate who was your brother mm-hmm. and was there from right. jump. Yeah. Jump. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And it's like you are not Cliff. Right. So don't the even try it. Yeah. The so they gave him shit like yeah. the first four years. Right, right. And he knew how to take it. Mm-hmm. And then after that, he was a real fourth member. Sure, right. It was yeah. beautiful. Mm-hmm. And he's great, Jason. Mm-hmm. Another wildly charismatic young man mm-hmm. who uh, is just amazing. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what else to tell you right now. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, what happened with Flotsam and Jetsam, though? I mean, yeah, well, okay. what was the deal there? Yeah. What they do? We, we we made a record called "No Place for Disgrace." Mm-hmm. Who r- who played bass for it though? Ouch! Uh, oh, ah, oh! I mean, somebody but they help did, me. They huh? did find some. You, some he, yeah, of the course. Bass, Jason was replaced. You know what? Obviously, maybe no harm, no foul. Maybe Google it. <laughs> no, you want no, to I, no yeah, I have no brain it. sometimes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. No place for disgrace. Right, you guys talk amongst yourselves. Right, talk amongst yourselves. Maybe Google it. Right. So I don't know. Like great. you know, I like went back and forth with record companies. You know, uh, I was at Electra for my first seven years, and um, I wanted to make more money. They didn't want to give me more money. Geffen was also a happening label, as cool as Electra. So they courted me, and I went there. It wasn't really my home in the end. I signed White Zombie there. I signed. I Kane, have Kane, questions about I, that, but I signed Kane Roberts, Alice Cooper's guitar player, yeah. there. And uh, then I went back to Electra again. <laughs> and it was right after the Black Album came out. Okay. So I had nothing to do with that record. Wow. But. Uh, you know, I was back in the saddle again mm-hmm. with Metallica mm-hmm. and Elektra. Um, and I don't know, I just had this long career up until 2004. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. So, uh Troy Gregory? Oh, Troy Gregory, of yeah. course. Oh, I, yeah, that guy. I could have told you that. <laughs> Troy Gregory. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, awesome. I wanted to ask you yes. one question before, yes. if, you, if we're going to no, exit no, no, the what? music industry aspect. No, because I have, I have a question. I, so okay. You want to go for uh, Let no, me no. ask it. Actually, you ask first because this is really more of an exiting. Sort All right, of no thing. problem. How was it that you came across and first saw and had like that vision for White Zombie? Yeah, because White Zombie, like that that first Geffen record, is one of my top ten favorite records ever. Oh, that's and I love. A lot of people don't know that they have so much material before that. Yes, mm-hmm. that I love that stuff. I yeah. love that Soul Crusher record and that Make, Make Them, them die, die Slowly. slowly. Yeah. Yeah. I love records, all that yes. stuff. Yeah. And there's, no one even has any idea that it even exists. There's, right. there's a box set that came out yes. not long ago of all their early stuff. Mm-hmm. It's love really it. Good. Psycho Head, Blowout, yeah. Pig oh, Heaven, God. all yeah. that stuff. I Gods on Voodoo Moon. I love all that old oh, wait, stuff. Wait, I don't know yeah. that. Gods on Voodoo Moon. Oh, see, I just hipped uh, you to something? Was it, was it like <laughs> I tapped myself on the shoulder? I know, but you still never saw Metallica in his fucking 2017. <laughs> I know, I'm ashamed of myself. <laughs> As you oh should be. Touche. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, so uh, yeah. Um, <laughs> I just got put in my place. Yeah, hello, hello. Somebody Rules. had to do it. I love it. Right. I, I love do. You too, I love buddy. it. Um, so, uh, 
You gotta keep I've, you around all the time. Oh, okay. <laughs> so he's used to it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, um, I have a friend for 36 years. His name is Daniel Ray. Okay. He produced a lot of Ramones records. Mm. He wrote Pet Cemetery. Mm. He wow. worked with Iggy. He was in the Masters of Reality for a while, mm. and a friend to this day at 36 years. Back nice. then, he said, "Michael, I saw this little band that they want me to produce them, and I think he produced a record. What's the record where they're holding Gene Simmons? God of Thunder. God of Thunder. It's Daniel." The, it's the Kiss cover. Of That's God right. Yeah. So he said, "You got to come see this band." But I had met Rob and Shauna, who were living together at the mm. time in the East Village, and I thought they were like so great. Mm-hmm. So there's a restaurant on Lafayette Street in the East Village called Indochine, mm-hmm. still there to this day. Mm-hmm. But under Indochine, they wanted to make like a club, so it just was like a number, like blah 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 Lafayette Street. Mm-hmm. So I go down into this little like black room where you can't friggin' see a damn thing. And there's, I guess, what you call a stage, which was like two inches off the ground. (laughs) And they were in the back and in the corner. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, if you ask me, they had no songs. It was noise. noise. It was noise. And I tell this story all the time. It was like white noise. It was. And I loved it. Every waking moment of yeah, it. Yeah, I love because it. Because I love noise. Mm-hmm. I, I love, love it noise. Too. Yeah. Yeah. And for me, that's atmosphere. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So, you know, it was crazy. They were loud and noisy and sweaty, and they had dreadlocks that were floating all over the yeah, damn place. Yeah, they looked like homeless people. Yeah. <laughs> Shut up. <laughs> they but did. they did. They did. <laughs> but I love them. So after love the show too. was over... Um, I said to Rob, you know what? I love your band. We need to like get together. And uh, I said, you know what? I want to sign you. Mm. And he said, well, you know what? We're going to be big. Mm. And you know what? I'm going to make films. Mm. And I believed him. No mm-hmm. shit. I believed him. Yeah. Mm. And so I don't know if you know Fetus. Mm. Yeah. Jim Thorwell. Mm-hmm. You got Fetus on your breath. Fetus <laughs> Uberalis. Fetus mm. under glass. Mm-hmm. Scraping fetus off the wheel. Jim Thorwell. <laughs> yeah. Jim produced a fabulous demo for me before I signed them to Geffen. Wow. But Rob has an ego. Mm-hmm. And Jim basically had an ego and knew exactly what he wanted out of that. The demo's fabulous. Mm. It might be on that box set somewhere. Yeah. Or it's somewhere that it got released. But it didn't work out. Rob and I love Slayer, mm. and we loved what their records sounded like. Mm-hmm. So um, they came up with a bunch of songs, and they were really good songs. And I called Andy Wallace, mm-hmm. and I said, we love you. I want you to hear this band I just signed called White Zombie. He loved them, and he made that first album, wow. Los Exorcisto. Wow. The music, music volume crazy. one. Yeah. Yeah. That was a great album. Yeah. It's a great, great record. Yeah, it really is a great record. And you know, it's so funny because there's so much to say about that record, too, and I'll try to be short and concise about it, but it all, it's all part of like rock history, really, yeah. and stuff that people don't necessarily know. Yeah. Um, so it's on Geffen Records, and at some point... The record stalls at like 180,000 units, mm. and everybody's flipping out because they're like, Alago, you said this was going to be huge, and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, um, I don't know, everybody, it was, it was a question mark in everybody's mind. Was this before or after the Thunder Kiss video? But let him finish. I'm he sorry. was on a roll oh, and he I'm cut sorry. him off. I'm sorry. <laughs> Thank you. I'm sorry. It's all right. Again, can we get rid of him, please? Yeah, yeah, no, seriously. <laughs> no. Baby yeah. stand in the corner. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry. No, no, no. Yeah. Come on. It's okay. So, um, <laughs> so they do Roseland. 
Oh. One night. Mm-hmm. And it might even, it was Anthrax, I think. Because oh. I remember Scott Ian being in the dressing room. He might have just been there, but I think they were on the road together. Mm. So in comes this guy, nondescript, and everybody's going, like, who's this guy in the dressing room? Mm. And I said, excuse me, like, can I help you? He said, I love White Zombie, and my name is Mike Judge. Wow. Uh, no shit. Wow. No fucking shit. Wow. Yeah. Now, everybody's losing their shit now, mm. and it's like Mike Judge, Scott Ian pulls out a napkin, he says, can you draw Beavis and Butthead on this napkin? <laughs> everybody's like, oh my God, it's Mike Judge. And he loved it, and we loved it, and Mike Judge decided that Beavis and Butthead love White Zombie. Mm. And so I don't remember if we just had made that video that you asked about, or it was coming, but... That video was played on Beavis and Butthead, Beavis and Butthead yeah. on MTV in the non-regular hours, like after midnight yeah, or yeah, yeah. Headbangers Ball. Yeah. But really, it was Beavis and Butthead that helped catapult that record wow. to start up again That's amazing. into the millions. That's amazing. Wow. Yes. It's crazy. Yes. Nuts. And where's MTV now? 16 and pregnant. Yeah, no, it's oh. fucking awful. Yeah. Awful. It's, it's a shame, man. Like, and it's really a shame that they, yeah. that, the you know, and then MTV2 came out. And it was like, all right, maybe mm-hmm. now. No. You know yeah. what I mean? It's like more crap. Yeah, you know what I mean? It's a shame. Yeah. Yeah. It's really a fucking shame. Yeah. yeah, so it's crazy. It's like, okay, it's like Michael finds White Zombie, signs White Zombie. White Zombie eventually goes away, and then Rob Zombie goes solo. And then from all that, look, there's fucking Rob Zombie movies. Mm. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So Very it's just a crazy little, you know, the way. Trajectory. It, the trajectory sure. on sure. What, uh, what happened. It's, but I it's think, amazing. you know, when somebody also is that talented and is not a copycat, right. you know, you're going to have a long career. Yeah. And sure. that's all of his original artwork. Like, he's drawing oh, yeah. oh, yeah. one. Well, that's I rem- all him. I remember on Headbangers Ball, he would be in the background drawing on shit. Yeah. <laughs> like, remember, like, there was when, uh, uh, what the fuck Ricky was his name? Ricky Rackman. Yeah. Yeah. was hosting, yeah. and, like, Rob Zombie would be in the background, like, drawing on shit. I remember there was a, oh, a really? moment. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah. Remember that? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Very well, cool. he's yeah. extraordinary. Mm-hmm. I yeah. grew up on the stick, so I found a lot of my metal on Headbangers Ball. We were lucky to have that. Yeah. That's right. Every like I mean, fifth about video, you know what Saturday I mean? Saturday from midnight till three in the morning. Right. I used yeah. to stay up. Me and my friend Tommy Mitchell all the time. I, I mean, go sleep so in his many house. Bands. He'd come sleep in my house. That's why I heard of fucking like MTV's, Overkill and fucking Metal Church. Metal Church. That Badlands video from Metal Church. Yeah. That record, Blessing in Disguise. And what was that of the set? Oh yeah, but no, no, no. Even prior to that, we made like a five thousand dollar video with them for Watch the Children. I pray. fucking and that love that song. The, the movie, I still the, love that song. What album was that? The Dark. Yes. Okay. I still love that song. Yeah. As we watch the children pray. Yeah. Fucking yes. We made, that, <laughs> we made that for like pennies. Yeah. But now wait a minute. Fucking because awesome. I was involved with just those two records, was Watch the Children Pray off the dark? Or was it off I don't know. I can Metal the Church? It was off no, metal. it has nothing to do with Blessing, Blessing in Disguise. disguise. Hush. Was, no, wait a minute. I, I, you know what? You have to get rid of him. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, no. Max my mic. Wait. I can picture the cassette cover. The one, well, the one had a red cover. This one did not. The one with Watch the Children Pay had the church on it, but it was it was like with a... With that cross command, yeah, yeah. like the cemetery? Yeah, 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 yeah. We have to do this again. Uh, no, Thank God for Google. You know what I mean? It was like the silver-colored one. Jeff, you go ahead. You go ahead I'll because I have a one. question. And for this kind of excites me anyway. Okay, good. Get excited. He's getting go excited. Ahead. Look at this. Rules. I love that fucking um, band. So, yeah, yeah. Oh, they're incredible. Uh, yeah. So, uh, is yes. it okay to move on to another subject? Whatever you say, it's your show, not mine. All right. Well, you're our special guest. Exactly. Well, we don't want to disrupt. Okay. Well, this, you know, that's what I want to bring up. Oh, yeah. That's what I, I mean. Oh, okay. It was the dark. 
Yeah, okay. Yeah, a dear friend of ours. Hey, still hey, for, oh, thank you. Okay, Jimmy's allowed to sit at the table yeah, again. Just as a sidebar, yes. I've seen White Zombie many times live. <laughs> thank you. Um, yeah, so, but anyway, that dark record is produced so incredibly. This uh, guy from produced? the UK, Mark Dodson, mm. and wonderful guy, mm. great guy, and... Uh, Extraordinary sounding record. Mm -hmm. you know? I said one of my first shows was Wasp Metal Church and Accept. Wow. Oh, yeah. wow. Yeah. Nice. Yeah. And it was a. Uh, um, Where was, was that at? It was in Boston. Oh. At um, Boston. the Channel or something? It wasn't the Channel. It was uh, right off of Lansdowne Street. Apples. Uh, Axis, maybe? I think it was Axis. Really? A place called Axis. Oh, yeah, there's yeah. a place called Axis on Lansdowne. Yeah, it was. It, you know wow. what? I don't even think it was called Axis yet. Hey, it was Jeff. the City Club. Where did you pack wow. the car? Yeah, it was the City Club. That's what it was cool. called. Oh, My yeah. first yes. show was I can't believe, I'm so burnt out, I can't believe I even remember that. Yeah. <laughs> Did anyway. you see all our faces? Ah! <laughs> no. Anyway. Wow, well, I'm getting fucking no, no, shit no, on. Uh, no, no, no. Hey, but you know what? You did this to yourself. Oh, that's fine with me. <laughs> that's great. No, no, no. Stop, stop, stop. Okay, why? All right. Well, I mean, look, you know, I mean, basically, if you, mo most of your career, mostly you signed heavier acts. Absolutely. And how did, where, <laughs> how did Nina Simone come into your life? Oh, my Lord. Um... Nina Simone came into my life because as a young kid, when I used to go to my Aunt Jenny's house on the weekend, you know, she had all these records like Johnny Mathis mm -hmm. and the soundtrack to Shaft. Mm -hmm. And there was a record or two that she had of Nina Simone mm -hmm. that she would play. And it was this androgynous voice that for me, like I, I was a kid just enjoying the music. Like mm -hmm. I just, I don't know, it just, her voice took me somewhere. Mm -hmm. So fast forward years later, I'm an A&R person, and I'm like, I'm going to sign Nina Simone. Mm -hmm. And everybody thinks I'm crazy. Everybody thinks she's been over. Mm -hmm. Everybody is like, she's nothing but a problem. Mm -hmm. All those things excited me. Mm -hmm. And um, <laughs> no, 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 please. Because no, that's awesome. <laughs> as an adult, I then collected anything and everything Nina Simone that I could get. Mm -hmm. She was a person, she was an artist who. Um, could sing a Bob Dylan song, a George Harrison song, and she did, and you would think they were her songs. Mm -hmm. That's how brilliant she knew how to take a song and make it her own. Mm -hmm. um, so at one point, it's like 1990, I'm back at Elektra, and uh, I find a phone number. It's her brother, Sam Wayman, who lives in Westchester, and I said, my name is Michael Alago. I do A&R for Electra, and I love your sister. Mm. And he just thought that was a hoot as well. He said, well, you caught us at a good time because we're doing Irving Plaza for two shows. Wow. I said, well, I want tickets for the early show and the late show. He goes, mm. for both? I said, absolutely. So... Um, he calls me the day of the show and he says, you know, we're here already and we're doing a sound check. Would you like to come to the sound check? And I was like, oh, my God. Yes, I want to come to the sound check. So I get to Irving Plaza. I'm in the back of the hall. She's playing the piano and she sees somebody in the back of the hall. And she looks and she's like, who are you? What do you want? This ain't no fucking freak show. So <laughs> what do you want? So <laughs> Sam said, oh, this is the gentleman from Electra," mm. And she said, oh, please come to the stage. Mm. And so I go to the stage, and she looked at me, and she starts laughing. Like, all my stuff is about laughter, which is a good thing. She said, how old are you? Mm. And I said, well, I'm 26. And she just kept laughing. And she said, 
Do you have money on you? And I said, it don't work that way. She said, well, you know, I'm all about the money. <laughs> and, um, you know, Nina Simone had been around since 1959 when she had a hit called I Love Japorgi. Mm-hmm. And she was a piano player at a bar in Philadelphia. And But then she started to sing. And that became her huge song, like a million seller. And um, she made records, beautiful records for RCA and Philips. Mm-hmm. Um, but at some point, probably... In the 80s, she was dropped because, I guess, of poor performances on the sales of records and because she really kind of was a problem. Mm. Um, She was very pro-black. She was part of the civil rights movement. Mm -hmm. Uh, She was very close to Dr. King. And, um, you know, when all that started falling apart, she just kind of felt lost. Mm. So she lived in her apartment in Hollywood. She lived in the south of France. She had a bit of money, not much, but enough to sustain both homes here and abroad. So anyway, we meet that day, and she's laughing at me, basically, and you know wants to know about the money. She says, come on stage and sit with me. She said, would you like some of my tea? I drink a special tea. And I thought, oh, my God, I'm drinking tea with Nina Simone. She gives me the tea. I nearly dropped dead. She didn't tell me there was so much cayenne pepper. (laughs) I was literally like, wait a minute. (laughs) And, of course... She laughs some more. (laughs) So anyway, it's 19. Now we fast forward. I finally sign her. I've been all over the world to see her. And I just feel like for me, you know, it's like, you know, when somebody says to you, you're on a desert island and you can pick five records, but that's it. Mm -hmm. I think if I was on a desert island, I would only pick Nina Simone records. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't care about hearing anyone else's voice but hers because... For me, she was the greatest artist that ever lived. Mm-hmm. And there was For a lot of people. She was like fucking no nonsense. Mm-hmm. And she told you that too. Mm-hmm. But I do have a very funny Nina Simone story. Anyway, so I signed Nina Simone. Um, this guy, Andre Fisher, who was the drummer for Chaka Khan's Rufus. Mm-hmm. Produces the record. At the time, he was married to Natalie Cole. We make the record at Chick Corea Studio on the West Coast. And it's a record called A Single Woman. It's with a 50-piece orchestra. Her voice is shot at this point in time. But it's a record about love and loneliness and loss. It's 92. I lost my dad. She had just lost her dad. And she said, you know, Michael, I love this Frank Sinatra record called A Man Alone. Mm. Very odd record for Frank Sinatra. Mm -hmm. There's no strangers in the night on it or anything. It was a record called uh, a, a Man Alone, Words and Music by Rod McEwen. Mm. Rod McEwen was a known gay poet in mm. the 70s. Mm. But Rod McEwen was, McEwen was so famous for translating this composer Jacques Brel from French to English. Mm-hmm. So many people, I didn't know this at the time, loved Rod McEwen. Mm-hmm. When Johnny Cash had his show, he had Rod McEwen on. When Dolly Parton had her show, they loved Rod McEwen. Mm-hmm. But it was a very odd record for Frank Sinatra because there was even some poetry on there. Mm-hmm. Anyway, so we find, I listened to this record because of her, and I said, well, Nina, there's a Billie Holiday record I love. Billie's last recording called Lady in Satin. It's also a record with a 50-piece orchestra. Billy's voice is also shot. I think Billy, it came out in July of 59, and Billy died either right before that or right after that. So we took these two records and like kind of mashed them together 
and made this very sad slit your wrists record called A Single Woman. Mm -hmm. It was the last full-length recording that she made in 1993. Uh, When it came out, she refused to promote it. Mm -hmm. The only two things I could get her to do was a a huge article we did for the New York Times, and then I had her on Jay Leno's The Tonight Show. Wow. But, you know, she was such a problem, Mm -hmm. and I loved every waking (laughs) moment. That's awesome. I loved every... Yeah. And because I can never shut up, so when, you, when I when, you, when it's all too much, but I'll tell you two more things, and That's then we fine. can no. then we can move on. Let's go. There's go no ahead. time limit. So no I'm, limit. I'm I'm at my desk at Electra, and I'm I that morning I always read the Times, the Post, and the news. So in the page six of the New York, of the New York Post, there was a, a sign. There was a little article that said, um, I don't know which came first, but anyway, uh, diva. Shoots someone on her property, mm. and I thought, oh, she's at it again. Because mm-hmm. it was always about drama. So I called the house in Aix-en-Provence in the south of France, and I said to Juanita, the housekeeper, I said, hi, it's Michael. She said, oh, Miss Simone doesn't want to talk to you. And I'm like, what's that all about? She said, well... She says you were involved in all of this. Meanwhile, I'm in New York at 75 Rockefeller Plaza. Mm-hmm. And I said, just put her on the phone. I said, hon, like, what happened? She said, well, you know, I had a gun under my pillow. (laughs) Because years ago, I turned killer. (laughs) And these people were on my property. Mm. So I shot them. I said, good, did you get them? And she said, I think I got one in the leg. I said, fabulous. (laughs) And that was like the level, though, of drama Uh, with her. mm. A few weeks later, Diva's house on fire. Oh, my goodness. Oh, shit. Okay. So... Again, it's my fault mm. because I sent her too many faxes. And remember, I'm not a white businessman. I'm an artist. I'm a black artist. And I don't want to deal with paperwork. Little do I know she's listening on the other extension. And I still hadn't given her all her advance. So when I said to Clifton, her assistant, could you tell Nina I still have her money? Honey, you never saw anybody pipe up so fast. <laughs> oh, honey, sugar lips. How you doing? <laughs> I said, wait, well, have you been on the phone this whole time? She said, yes. And I was like, well, you know, I love you, right? Mm-hmm. She says, I know you won't marry me, but we should really get married. Mm-hmm. And we had this thing for the last 13 years of her life. Mm-hmm. Anyway, really what happened is, unfortunately, she was troubled. Mm-hmm. And she was bipolar, wasn't diagnosed. But she would take her bipolar medicine with bottles of wine. Wow. Now, if you have any, anyone has any kind of serious condition, you can't take alcohol with it. Mm-hmm, right. So anyway, so this would be the last story I tell. So anyway, so what really happened is she was knocking them back, smoking. The cigarette landed on the staircase. Underneath the staircase was the linen closet, and the whole thing went up on fire. Wow. But of course, that's not good enough. You know, it's like, in the middle of the night, when the police, when the firemen and the police came, there was a fireman climbing up to the second floor, and she's like, you know, that fireman came to fuck me. I said, Nina, <laughs> he came to save your life. She said, you know nothing about that. They all want to fuck a black woman. He wanted to fuck me. I said, you know what, whatever, whatever you say. Mm-hmm. I love you, but he was coming to save your life. <laughs> anyway, that was the level of insanity with her that I played into for years. The last time I saw her was 1999. She was doing a show that Nick Cave from the birthday party was promoting called uh-huh. The Meltdown. Mm-hmm. Like, 
like one night it was suicide, the next night it was Nina Simone. That day, I brought her a dozen white roses and champagne. I was still drinking at the time, and we took a bubble bath together. Wow. She got completely <laughs> naked. I was a little mortified. I, I, I kept on my boxer shorts, and we acted like we were 14 years old, That's laughing awesome. and carrying on and getting drunk. That was the last time I saw her. She died April 21st, 2003. And for me, she was just the greatest living artist ever. Wow. Oh, I'm out of breath. I got to go home now. But anyway. Well, we got more to talk about. Yeah, that's great. But, you know, like I said, there's a special that's a great story. room, place in my heart for her mm. because she really was extraordinary. Mm. And even if you don't like, you know, jazz or mellow music or folk songs or Yiddish folk songs, she did it all. Mm. And she really did it with such a unique style. Mm. There was no one like her. Mm -hmm. And if you ask Jay-Z, you ask Mary J. Blige, you ask all these people, you ask Lauren Hill, mm -hmm. these people lose their mind mm -hmm. when you say Nina Simone. Sure. Yeah. And there's a beautiful part in the documentary that Drew Stone just made about me mm -hmm. on Nina. You know, of course, she died years ago, but I talk about her, you know, with reverence and love. And we found a clip, or we had to buy the clip, but we got this clip. Mm -hmm of her from 1976, the Montreux Jazz Festival, and it's nuts. It's like 90 seconds of the most intense visual and sound ever. It's really amazing. I That's can't wait to see segue, it. I, well, I was just going to say that, that we had Drew Stone on a, a few episodes ago mm -hmm. on the podcast, and he spoke shortly about this film because we were mostly talking about the New York Hawkeye Chronicles which was great by the way um, but yes on this Friday which which people will be listening by then that's going to be June 9th right? Mm -hmm. yes. Yes. yes yes Friday June 9th is the world premiere of the new film by Drew Stone and it's called Who the Fuck Is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Alago mm. yes what was this four years in the making? oh gosh yes it's really you know when you speak on it Michael <laughs> oh my god, this one here. Uh, yeah, yeah, it took about four years, but when you were truly an independent film mm. and you don't really get help from hardly anybody, sure, yeah. like thank god these days there are places like um, GoFundMe yeah, and, Kickstarter, uh, Kickstarter, and Music stuff. Pledge and yeah. Kickstarter. You know, the thing with Kickstarter is you ask for a certain amount of money, and if you don't achieve that goal, you don't get the money. Yeah. Right? So we were on pins and needles every day mm. until the day. You know, I think we got like, you know, $30,000. Wow. And we had to do everything with that money. In the end, one or two people came in and gave us a few more thousand here and a few more thousand there. But it really is truly an independent film that was a lot of sweat and hard work on Drew's part. I didn't sure. know Drew mm -hmm. part of four years ago. How did he, how did he yeah, find you? He, well, he knew about me because I literally was out every single night mm. at every rock show, every hardcore show on a Sunday at CBGB. I was out every night. I mean, I was out every night because it was my job, and I was out every night because, you know, I'm a person who just loves music. Mm -hmm. right. And I say that all the time. I mm. just love music, mm -hmm. you know? Um, so, Drew called me one day, and he said, you know, I've been following you. I see you out all the time. Um, 
I know what you have done in the music business, and I would like to make a film about you. And, of course, my ego took over a little bit. I said, of course you do. (laughs) uh, You know, I think we had, like, lunch or something or dinner, and we became fast friends. Mm -hmm. And um, he was a good guy. Oh, yes, yes, absolutely. Hard worker, good guy, intense. Mm -hmm. And we had... A load of fun making this movie. Mm-hmm. I mean, of course, in four years you're going to argue, you're going to have a difference of opinion. Sure. But you know what? The film is ready. It's ready to go. Mm-hmm. And we got you know a-listers of people who I have worked with in the music business in the film. Mm-hmm. And it just talks about a lot of things. And it talks about how the music business almost killed me. Mm-hmm. Almost died twice. Um, really. You know, I drank, I did crack, Mm. I did, you know, I got sick with pneumonia in the 90s, and my lungs were shot, but I still thought it was a good idea to do crack and drink after that. Mm. I mean, it's just so much. But I don't want to give away too much of the film. But, uh, you know, it's it's about a life Mm -hmm. of someone that almost let his ridiculousness mm-hmm. and the music business kill him. Mm-hmm. But it didn't kill me. And I am a survivor. Mm-hmm. And I don't drink or drug anymore. And feel, uh, it's coming up on 10 years. Wow. And it's a blessing mm-hmm. yeah, for so many reasons for me. My body and my mind were ravaged mm-hmm. uh, by so many things. And um, the reason we're here now today, I think, is because I don't drink or drug. Mm-hmm. I still go out. I have a blast. I wake up in the morning. I know where I'm waking up. Mm. Thank God. Yeah. But I don't know what your question was anyway. So um, uh, at that point, it was just he was just bringing up. The, yeah, well, yeah. No, so yeah, 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 yeah. And Jeff asked how Drew Stone came in your life. Yeah, well, he, he I, but I, that. I did he just say that. that. So we're, so we're, on, um, we're on point. So finally, we, uh, Drew made a deal with this company on the West Coast called Accelerator Media slash Rugged Entertainment. Rugged Entertainment only does documentaries. Mm. So we're lucky enough to have the doc come out this Friday, June 9th at St. Mark's Theater, but it's totally sold out. Yes, it's called Theater 80 at yes. 80 St. Mark's Place. Right. Mm-hmm. And it is sold out. Um, love it that is place. Sold out. Oh, it's cool. It's, it's been there, cool, like I yeah. think, yeah. almost Very 90 years. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it's still run by the same mm-hmm. family. Yep. And I, just, and I just want to thank you and oh. Drew Stone yeah. for personally inviting myself and Nikki to that world premiere. Mm-hmm. Right. Uh, we'll see you on Friday. Yes. What, uh, so where can you see it after that? Yeah, after that, the next East Coast showing is... Um, the Nighthawk Cinema wow. on Metropolitan Avenue oh in my Brooklyn. That's so cool. okay. the Williamsburg section when, of Brooklyn. When is that? It's Wednesday, July 19th mm. at 7.30 p.m. Wow. Yep. Yeah. I'll be on tour, unfortunately. Oh. I would love yes. to see it at Nighthawk. Oh. I'll be on the road. And then... We when have, are you going on the road? I leave June 16th. We go and play Hellfest in Europe. Oh, wow. And then we do Warp Tour the whole summer. Oh, my God. How fantastic. Yeah. Well, you'll get to see it somewhere because I know it I, will be on well, iTunes. Oh, yes, yeah, well, yeah. it'll be on Netflix. It also says right here, yes. July twenty first to the twenty seventh, for people who are listening on the West Coast mm. in L.A. at the mm-hmm. Arena Cine Lounge on Sunset Boulevard. That's July twenty first through the twenty seventh. Yeah, we have seven mm. showings in Hollywood. Yeah, yeah, which is going to be really fun. That's and amazing. then back to New York State, not in the city, but on August sixteenth at the Rosendale Theater at four hundred eight Main Street. That's what it says right here. I know. <laughs> I was going to question you, but 
you're reading right off the page. I am, and I, tr- I, and I know nothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> oh God! No, 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 no. Continue. I'm sorry. Yeah. So, but then it is it is going to be on Netflix for I believe two years. Yeah. Something like that. That's but awesome. really, if you can't get to the two New York screenings and you can't get to the seven LA screenings or the Rosendale upstate, July 25th it's on Movies on Demand mm-hmm. and iTunes mm-hmm. from July 25th to August 25th. Wow. And right. then after that, I believe sometime, maybe even the first of September, it comes on Netflix. That's wow. awesome. And that's incredible because, you know, so Netflix incredible. is global. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, everybody, so hope every, everybody can see it. Sure, I mean, and, you know, it's a cautionary tale. Mm-hmm. And uh, it will probably it's be a good story. on DVD and mm-hmm. stuff like that. Well, you sure. know, it's a funny world we live in because, you know, People don't make DVDs anymore. Yeah, no. I mean, you know, yeah. everything is streaming. Yeah. And um, for me, I still want to have a DVD, me too. a CD, yeah, me too. vinyl in my hand. Yeah. I don't want to read a Kindle. I don't no, want none of that stuff. If I'm going to read I'm a book, I want school, a book. I want a book. Yeah. Yeah. I saw, I don't know, someplace in social media on somebody's news feed, there was a guy standing at the end of a train car. Mm. And the point of view was... Everybody was on their iPhone except mm. for one guy. He was reading a book. Mm. <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. It's, it's yeah. true. That's yeah. crazy. Yeah, this is awesome. Yeah, yeah, it was very good fun. Very fucking Hell cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah, it's about time. Yeah. Okay. Well, well, whatever. Yeah. But um, I wasn't in a hurry. But I'm not in a hurry no, either. I'm, I'm not in a hurry. If there's uh, anybody that wants to talk about anything, please. I mean, oh, uh, let's talk about a few things that you that you that you have going on now. You just worked that's what with, I was going to ask. You worked so yes, with uh, you. You got into music producing, right? You produced a record by Cindy Lauper. Well, uh, you know, I'm an A and R person. Okay. And for me, what A and R means is when I <clears throat> excuse me when I sign an artist, mm-hmm. they usually have material. Mm-hmm. If there's extra material, I go out to other singer-songwriters and publishers to find them the songs. Wow, um, that's interesting. So part of A&R for me, which is old-school A&R, uh, I don't go to YouTube to look for somebody. I was out every night. In Cindy's case, for instance, um, found some songs. She had some songs already. I found a producer. I put the budget together, and then uh, we make the record. Mm. So for me, it's everything from finding the material, being in the studio with the producer, laying down the tracks, mixing, mastering. Mm -hmm. That's my job. Mm. And then... If I work at the record company where the record that I just made is coming out, I hound everybody and I'm a pain in the ass until everybody does the right thing by right. me and the artist. Mm. So I'm always in promotions phase, publicity's phase, um, radio promotion, you know, all, all, all the departments that it takes to make a record um, come alive so that the public can buy it. In Cindy's case, we've been friends for 15 years. She wanted to make a dance record. It's called Bring It to the Brink. I helped her make that record. I was an A&R person. Mm. I was a little more involved in the second record called Memphis Blues. She called me up one day and she said, you know, Mike, I know you make metal records, but you ever make a blues record? I said, no, Sin. Did you ever make a blues record? She said, no. I said, so we're even. (laughs) So um, there was a young producer... He is a young producer in his 40s named Scott Bomar. Mm. He lives in Memphis. And uh, at one point, you know, we were talking about like what these song, blues songs were going to be. Obviously, they had to come from a woman's point of view. So we sat in her kitchen for nights on end, listening to pulling up... St- 
all these blues archives, uh, listening to blues box sets, eating Chinese food so we were blue in the face. Finally, we came up with a selection of 20 songs or so, narrowing it down to 10 to 12 songs. Mm. We um, hire Scott Bomar and we go to his little studio in Memphis where Scott is friends with everybody. So we got the best of the best, meaning all of Al Green's band, all of Isaac Hayes's band, mm-hmm. and a few other great people in between. Uh, the record's called Memphis Blues. Uh, got nominated for Best Contemporary Blues Album for a Grammy. We didn't win, but that's okay. We really worked hard on that. So those were the two <laughs> albums I worked on with Cindy. Mm-hmm. That's, that's awesome. amazing. That's cool. amazing. Yeah. And you also um, put out a book. Um, I don't. You don't call it particularly poetry. Um, I think you describe it as something else. Um, I, I forget. Well, me and Mina Caputo yes, from Life yes, of Agony, yes, yes, yes. we put out a book of poems, mm-hmm. short stories, mm-hmm. and rants. Rants. We that's, call them that's, rants. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And it's yeah. called Night Blooming Jasmine Will right. Never Smell the Same. Right, right, right. Um, Very interesting title. About, yeah. What's, what's the title all about? Oh, now you're going to stump me because... <laughs> no, 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 no. <laughs> you stumped me. I'm sorry. No, no, only because like, I think I'm kind of almost all talked out, but not really. Mm. Um, we love flowers. Mm-hmm. Um, flowers don't stay the same. They mm-hmm. change. I think I saw the words night blooming jasmine somewhere, mm-hmm. and I just added the rest of that night blooming mm-hmm. jasmine will never smell the same. Mm-hmm. So it's kind of about just everything in life changing. I got you. Yeah. Right. And so we're talking right now about putting another poetry book together. Ah, interesting. Yeah. Very, very cool. But I also, um, you know, when I left the record companies, I decided to take pictures, mm-hmm. and I take pictures of men who are scarred and tattooed mm-hmm. and I have three books out and I might do a book of Polaroids next year. I'm not sure. Um, but right now I'm just kind of focusing on who the fuck documentary. Fuck yeah, right. man. And that's a lot to focus on. Sure yeah. is. Great. Congratulations yeah. on everything. Thank you. Really? Yeah, man. Yes. Yeah. Thank you so much for yeah. being on a podcast. Oh, it's yeah. been fun. Yeah. Like I always get nervous when things aren't in an order because, you know, working for corporations, mm-hmm. everything is about structure. Right, right, right. So, but in years, I've learned how to loosen up. Yeah. And stuff. We sit down and have a conversation. And Absolutely. And we yes. really just try to keep it loose. And maybe you come back on after, you know, when you have a, your next book coming oh, out or yeah, a yeah. thing coming yeah. out. Yeah. Sure, Whenever you want. Whenever you want. Or, you know, co host when I'm on tour or whatever. Man. I would love to do something <laughs> like that. Why not? Sure. You know, that would yeah. be great. But I have to give one shameless plug. Go right Please ahead. Do. Plug everything Please you plug need to. You oh, need no, no. To. Well, there's a New York band called Black Anvil. Oh, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Wait. Yeah. Shout I, out Paul Delaney. Paul! Yeah. The, He's also in another wait, great band called Manipulate. Oh, really? Right? I don't know that. Mm-hmm. Oh, you oh thank you. Manipulate six degrees rules. of separation. Oh, yeah, yeah, but yeah, not yeah, even six people. degrees anymore, really. I, I, I just yeah. think about it. Really? <laughs> yeah, John Adams High I just think pop. he's incredible. Great band. And the last record, Hail, mm. Death, mm-hmm. Unreal. Mm. You know, I, that was the first time I heard them, and that was their third record already. Mm. And it reminds me of an even more intense Ride the Lightning mm-hmm. because the, of the intricacies mm-hmm. of the arrangements of the songs and stuff. And now they just put out a record called As Was. Yes. All on Relapse Records. Mm. Incre- extraordinary record. Yeah. I swear by them. Cool. And I think they're playing July 20th at St. Vitus. Oh, very, very good. So, very Paul, cool. Rafe, that's the shameless plug. There you go. I love <laughs> you. That rules. Nice. And check out Manipulate Paul's other Okay, band. cool. They're great. Mm-hmm. Yes. Nice. Yeah, I'm a big All right. fan.
Right. Oh, wait. Yeah. yeah. What's up? Sure. Because my friends in the West Coast will not forgive me for that. No, go ahead. Talk. Go ahead. Say whatever you need to. No, because, you know, it's like I'm very particular about music, and I was always particular sure. about who I signed. Mm -hmm. So I went to see a band in Portland, Oregon called Bodica. B-O-U-D-I-C-A. Okay. And they're definitely black metal elements of thrash, mm -hmm. great musicians, and I'm trying to do something with them right now. Um, they play mostly on the West Coast, and uh, we're trying to get an EP together. I'm talking to Zeus about producing it, mm -hmm. and uh, James Ramsey, mm. Jillian, I'm giving you a shout-out. Hello. Nice. I love you. <laughs> Good night. Goodbye. Very cool. See you later. Awesome. Till tomorrow. <laughs> Jimmy, you want to give us like, give our plugs out? Yeah, sure. Um, well, first, just thank you so much. Oh, my thank you. It's my pleasure. Yes. You didn't even have to ask you anything. You just like took the range and took over, and, which is uh, a beautiful thing. Thanks to Drew Stone for uh, setting this up, basically. Yeah. Right? Yes, yes. So, yeah. so thanks to him. Yes. Thanks all around. Thanks all yes. around. Correct. And thank you for everybody who listens, because... We get a lot of positive feedback, and, oh, we, and we've incredible. been growing our listenership. So mm -hmm. hopefully, yeah. it you know continues. Guests like yourself, mm -hmm. and you know the likes of Mina Caputo and Drew Stone and stuff like that. You know, this hopefully helps our listenership and, and our award-winning personalities. Can, yes, <laughs> award-winning. Yes, and you yes. know, if we do part two, <laughs> we will. We left out one of my favorite people in the whole entire world, Johnny Rotten. Yes, yeah. So I mean, there's so much more to talk John about. John Lydon. There's so much more. Let's do a part two. I gotta just tell you, we're friends 36 years. Mm -hmm. We've had ups and downs in our relationships professionally. Mm. Never had a bad word with him. Mm. Ever. Mm. Nice. To this day. That's incredible. And, you know, he has a, a doc coming out called The Public Image is Rotten, mm -hmm. and I'm in his doc, and wow. he's in my doc. Oh, that's so cool. And awesome. it's like one of my all time favorite people, mm. one of the smartest people on the planet. Mm -hmm. Really? Yeah. Nice. Oh, but more of that in part two. Yeah, like yes. that's, that's that, two. we got to leave a little bit of a cliffhanger. Yeah, 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 that was yeah. done nice. on purpose, everybody. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> awesome. All right. Yeah. Cool. So, you so close us out. Yeah. So the you know the regular the regular deal. Um, you can please download just download it, download it, download it onto on iTunes. Our, it helps our numbers and the rankings. This, that, and the third. Um, on SoundCloud, you can find us at The Brooklyn Blast Furnace on Facebook at Blast Furnace Productions. Also on Instagram at Blast Furnace Productions. On Twitter at Blast Furnace NYC. You can check out Johnny Candiria's record label at RisingPulseRecords.com. Also check out his band Candiria The Band on Instagram. Jeff, uh, come to the luxurious Lucky 13 Saloon at 644 Sackett Street, Brooklyn, New York, 11217. Also listen to the Lucky 13 Saloon podcast, also on SoundCloud and iTunes. Um, once again, Michael... Eyes and of the Sun shut out, too. I, uh, oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, all right. Je Jeff, this one, his alter ego, his metal craziness comes out when he plays in his band. He's the singer and the bass player for a band called Eyes of the Sun. Mm -hmm. Oh, I gotta go. Yeah. yeah. Okay. You see? So, so you gotta tell me when you're playing next. I will. Okay, I will. thank you. I'll give you a CD before you leave the house. Okay, fine. Leave. Good. Oh, look at that. You gotta <laughs> autograph this. Yeah. Okay, <laughs> fine. Please. Yes. <laughs> Awesome. And once again, is there anything else you would like to plug? No, but I think the way we're carrying on here, we could go on for another right. hour. Yeah, we so, could. so that's why there has to be a part two. Okay, yeah. so yeah, real is. quick, one more time. June 9th, Theater 80 is the world premiere of Who the Fuck Is That Guy? The Fabulous Journey of Michael Alago. After that is July 19th, also in New York City at the Nighthawk Cinema. That's 136 Metropolitan Avenue. Shout out to Drew Stone. Plus, your, your New York Hawkeye Chronicles was incredible. Congratulations on your success, buddy. And... 
Anything? The Nighthawk Cinema is in Brooklyn. Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> oh, did I say New York City? Yeah, well, it's well, okay. Well, because I'm reading off the thing, it's a July 19th New York City. Mm-hmm. Okay, sorry. I yeah. still never so, see yeah. Metallica. No, uh, well, <laughs> we'll fix that. <laughs> awesome. Right. Fuck. Thank you but so anyway, much. So the Nighthawk Cinema in Williamsburg, Wednesday, July 19th at 7.30. Correct. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. We're over here now. <laughs> <laughs>